comes from Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day comes of evil, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, with which is, with, with which is God's word, and pray in the, in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for John, for his ministry, for his wisdom, for his insight. Lord, we just really, really want to hear what it is that you have laid on his heart to give to us today. Open our hearts to receive from you. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our minds, Lord, that we might receive. Uh, and enable us to really see that it is you that is speaking through John. Lord, just bless John while he does this. Release him so that he will preach out with freedom uh, what it is you've given him. In Jesus' name, amen. Months ago, I uh, set off for a missionary conference in Calgary, uh, little expecting that it was to be perhaps the most dramatic moment in my life thus far. Because coming out of this, and this leads me to ask for your prayers in a very special way, I have been appointed international chairman of Action International. And that is proving to be a very challenging, a very privileged, and a very detailed sort of role. And I'm trying to work that one out. So please, as you pray for me, uh, do keep that very much in your prayers. You'll hear more about that, I trust, in the future. Part of the outworking of that is that in four weeks' time, I shall be in Malawi for the graduation of 400 pastors. I've been given the privilege of having two long weekends with them, and uh, government representatives will be there, but if you've read the prayer letter, you'll know all of this. And uh, that is a unique privilege. They're going to let me be a bush boy, which is what I really am, and go up to the Mozambique border in the middle of that uh, period, in the first two weeks of August, to uh, minister to the pastors coming over from uh, Mozambique. So I value your prayers. It does relate to where we're going to go in the sermon. Secondly, I've been away for five weeks. I hope you've all been very good. I'm sure you have. Uh, but I didn't come back 
until quite late. And we were way up in the bush in the Lake District, and I could not get reliable internet. So I have not heard anything that has been said in the last five weeks. That's my disclaimer. I dare to believe on the principle of synchronicity that God may say something to you that you've already heard. But if he says it a second time, perchance God wants you to know that in a very deep way. The shield of faith. I'm going to be speaking about an exhortation. I'm going to be speaking about an enemy. Well, I can't speak about that in any detail. I'm going to speak about equipment and I'm going to speak about energy. Open your Bibles with you, or if you've got, or if you stick, uh, put it on your mobile or whatever, uh, that's fine. And we're going to be looking at this passage. And uh, this has marinated for weeks. So I've been waiting before God, and this is what's come, and I'm offering it to you. First of all, Scripture says, put on the whole armor. Right? It is imperative mood, it's a command. So if you are an undressed, in an armor sense, Christian, you are a disobedient one this morning. I can't say it more clearly than that. Did you hear it? If you are not dressed in the full armor of God, you are disobedient. Secondly, it's in the aorist tense which means that you put it on and you never, ever, ever, ever take it off. Now that creates a little bit of a tension when you think about the song that we sang. But it isn't a tension because you need to be dressed in the full armor of God and you need to be dressed night and day. The Celts, and we use Celtic liturgy, Rachel and I, every evening we do... Compline, not complan. Complan is helpful too. Uh, not for me, I sleep anyway. But compline is evening prayer. And it reminds us in all of the different prayer, liturgical prayers about keeping the armor. I'll say something to you. The most likely time you may well be attacked is at night, not during the day. Did you hear that? It is the most likely time for your spiritually attack to take place. The cold and the dark hours of the night are often the most significant in people's spiritual progress. So, put the armor on. Keep it on. I know the analogy breaks down because the idea of getting into bed with a, in armor just doesn't sort of fit quite easily. It's an analogy. Don't over-literalize it. Put on the whole armor. And the reason we're urged to put the whole armor on, of course, is very simple, because we have an enemy. Now, I haven't got time to talk about Satan this morning, and it's not my brief, and no doubt someone else will do that at some stage. But we know Satan's names. We know his abilities. He's an accuser. He's an adversary. He's a liar. He's the ruler of the world. He's a murderer from the beginning. 
He's pictured as a lion. He's pictured as a serpent. Can actually even be pictured as an angel of light. But please, as we're talking about armor, don't get yourself into a state, as many Christians do, where they drift into an understanding that there are two great forces in the world. There's good and evil. And they're co-equal. It's a dualistic view. That is not biblical. Jesus is in ultimate power. Amen. And because that is true, he's given free will, not only to us, but to Satan. And Satan has a function within the remit of the sovereignty of God. But we must return to that, or someone must return to that on another occasion, because the brief given to me was to talk about the shield of faith. In Greek, it's uh, thyrios. It's not that little circular shield that those of you who have watched a lot of films have seen, where they have a sword in one hand and a circular sword, uh, shield in the other. That's for uh, uh, aggressive, assertive, uh, uh, battle, warfare. This is talking about Thyreos, and it's an oblong shield, almost the size of my body, and on the front of it, it is embedded over a metal backing, is embedded wood. And before they ever went into battle, they used to soak the wood because they knew that in battle, fiery darts would come to them and they could put up their shield like this and it would protect other people as well as protecting themselves. I'll come back to that at the end because that really is something the Spirit has spoken to me very clearly about. But that's the picture that we've got. It's... To me, the more I think about it as a scientist, as a Christian, whatever way you think about it, it's an absolutely crazy idea to link together a shield and faith. Faith is an incredibly intangible, vague, but profoundly real concept. Faith is pistis. Trust. So the best way in the battle, and my brief is today, is to talk about that in the battle that we face. It's to see the primary shield and protection that you have, and as I shall be saying as I finish, we offer to each other, is the concept of continuous, simple, childlike trust. And that gets to the heart of whether you understand that God is sovereign. It gets to the heart of whether you understand God is reliable. It gets to the heart of the knowledge of whether you know that the Spirit who indwells you will be there with you and for you in whatever you're going to face. And I've thought about some illustrations And in a sense, the illustrations I want to use, the biblical ones, and in fact, a more historical one, 
from Nigeria, which is so near to my heart, just illustrate this very point. Because they talk about not so much the shield and the faith, but they talk about the fiery darts and how you meet those fiery darts with faith determine, I was going to say whether you get killed, maybe putting it rather dramatically, but they certainly will determine whether you are injured in the battle or whether you are successful. So what I'm saying fundamentally, perhaps the first thing, or maybe not the first thing, is that do you trust God? I think that's an utterly, even an insulting question. But do you trust God? Do you trust Jesus, his son? Do you trust his spirit, who will never be inconsistent with either the son or the father? And my mind flashed as I've prayed and thought, first of all, to the temptation of Jesus, because I can't think of a better illustration of a spiritual battle than took place. And you know it very well. I've got Matthew... uh, I have Matthew 3 open in front of me now. You know the story very well. I beg your pardon, I'm in Matthew 4, don't I? Where Jesus is testing just before he started his crucial teaching ministry, and he talks about the temptations. Now, look, you are not Jesus. Okay. I hope none of you are under the Messiah con- uh, con- uh, sort of concept where you think you're something very special. You're just a human being, and most certainly I am. But what happened for Jesus, because he was fully human, will certainly happen for you. And the tests that come, and you can only meet with the shield of faith, will relate at some stage to what happened to Jesus and I've got many other illustrations you remember what it was first of all he was he was uh, urged to turn stones into bread the ironic thing is that Jesus could do that but it wasn't God's purpose See, so often the spiritual warfare battle is about the issue of doing God's will rather than doing something good. Right? The two are not necessarily the same. They can be. Not necessarily. You need to go back and look at this properly because I've got so many other things to say. What about that other, the other aspects? Taking Jesus to the height of the temple and asking Jesus to trade on the fact that he knew that his father would look after him. That will be a temptation that you'll face in some way or other. Not not like Jesus did, but in some way. What about the third way? When he offers you a shortcut to what your purposes are and what Jesus' purposes were. Because Jesus died to win back from Satan, ultimately, the allegiance and the loyalty of people. But you can shortcut that. So fiery darts are real. My mind then flashed to Daniel. 
We talk about songs that we learned, uh, Graham. Dare to be a, how many? Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone. Come on. Dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. And he was a highly successful believer. His loyalty to Yahweh was such that even the political powers adhered to that and saw it and he had a position of power and then politics can be a, a very challenging and very, very dangerous thing. I have a, one of my a co-workers who works in Nepal who's in touch with me who's involved in politics and some of the stories I'm hearing on an almost daily basis about what's going on in the politics, they are shattering. But I respect his integrity as a man of God. He's seeking to be in that place and to stand for God. And then Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. He wasn't a young man when that happened, by the way. He may well have been quite old if uh, the chronology has been worked out correctly by the scholars. Fear is a very, very destructive dart that Satan throws at people. And I'd hazard a guess, because you're flesh and blood like me, that that's an issue you understand. Fear. Once heard somebody preach on this subject and say, and I think there's a profound element of truth of faith and fear are like opposite sides of the same coin in the same way as love and hate can be opposite sides of the same coin. Daniel <coughs> met that situation by trust. Okay? Now you're not going to be thrown into a lion's den this week. I think. We'll hear about it if you are. But you will meet situations, fearful ones, frightening ones. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, but if not, When I wrote my doctorate in Nigeria over a year, over a decade ago, I didn't understand when I was interviewing some of the Muslim imams and some of the Christian pastors that some of them, and already have, have paid the price with their own blood for their loyalty to God. It's not going to happen to you here. It will happen around the world. I have a story I want to read you in just a moment. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego met the challenge with simple faith. They were willing to die, but they were willing to trust God. The shield of faith is the shield that protects how big is your God? Do you trust him? Does he know about the detail of what's going on in your life? Does he know about what's going on in my life? 
And you know the answer is yes. But we're so like Peter, aren't we? Walking on the water, we say the right words, we get on, we start the action, and before we know it, we're sinking because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. What about Joseph? I love the story of Joseph. He was a rather brash teenager who had dreams and didn't have the maturity or sensitivity to keep them to himself. <laughs> and uh, just rather paraded it. And, uh, you know, sometimes the youngest one in the family gets spoiled, but sometimes they get kicked. Yeah? I know families like that. And uh, he probably deserved some of what happened to him. Not the dramatic sense of where they sold him into uh, slavery ultimately and pretended he'd been killed. And down he goes to Egypt. And uh, he's imprisoned and falsely accused. It's a, it's a horrendous story. And as I was reflecting upon that story and upon my own life and upon you today and thinking about the sort of things that go on for you and, and indeed for me, I had a very clear sense that this is one of those key issues for people. Do you find God confusing? And what he allows confusing? And you know the answer is yes, even if you're not saying it to me. He is confusing. And there will be things that he will allow in your life. And you do not understand you are confused. And you can think for a moment about what's going on in your own life. I'm, I'm thinking about what's going on in my life at the moment and thinking, well, I don't understand, Lord. It's not the way I would do it. Can I explain to you how you ought to do it? But no, no, it doesn't work like that, does it? And we, as Joseph did, need to meet the fiery darts of confusion. And they are fiery darts. They are subtle. They are ongoing. And they are to do with what goes on between here. Philippians is all about the mind that we have. We have the mind of Christ. But listen, it begs the issue of the fact that life for all of us at different times is confusing. So here's... Just some very simple reflections on the equipment. Thinking about the shield of faith. As I say, most of you knew, know that I did my doctorate on Muslim-Christian relationships in um, Nigeria, just before Boko Haram exploded. And the church have a copy of a major thesis, and they often say to me when they communicate, it was a prophetic warning of what was about to happen. Let me read you. This is from Barnabas Fund. And this is where Ian goes. And this is a place I know intimately. In fact, I don't know if Ian picked up in the, uh, in the news this week. Uh, at least 30 people were killed in the Miango Bassa region. Now, I have cycled and preached there more times than I like to think. 
But uh, this is not Miango Mbasa specifically, but it is Nigeria. It's talking about the middle belt of Nigeria, and I'm reading, forgive me. I can't say it more clearly than this. Boko Haram raid, it's Fulani. They seem to they present themselves as a very uh, terrorized group. They are terrorizing, they, they are rough and aggressive. Uh, that is true, I know that from working with Fulani for 30 years. And they will raid and often merciful, mercilessly kill part of a political agenda that Islam has in the north of Nigeria because they claim that it was theirs originally before the Christians won it back. In spite of such raids, uh, in February and March, nearly 300 Christians were dead in Kaduna State, which is quite near Plateau State, right next to it. Brutal rapes, maiming with machetes and also were also reported. In Karami village, 41 people died, nearly all women and children, plus a few elderly and blind men. In Karuja district, the bodies of 73 women, some pregnant and 101 young children, including babies on their mother's back, were interred in mass graves. But at the same time, there emerged from Nigeria through a very reputable and down-to-earth international missionary society news of a contrasting event. They had gathered together in, the, in an unusually large numbers, about 500 Christians, who came from a Muslim background. They gathered together in, new, in these large numbers after suffering attacks by Boko Haram, and they drift towards the city for safety. There's three and a half million displaced people in Nigeria. Three and a half million. I went up on the Ugandan border and saw a million displaced people. This is three and a half million. But they were attacked again, even though they'd gone to the edge of the city. The majority managed to get away, but 76 were captured and taken to Boko Haram camp where they were tortured. The four male leaders of the captured believers were asked by Boko Haram to announce their Christian faith and return to Islam. All that means is they think every Christian is originally a, a Muslim and think Jesus is a Muslim. How incredible. The four refused and were duly shot in front of their family and friends. A week later, the four widows of the dead men were asked to renounce their faith and return to Islam, or their children would be shot. They were given time to think over this dreadful choice, but while they were agonizing together, the children came running into the room, excitedly telling their mothers that Jesus had appeared to them and told them that they would all be well. Jesus then appeared to the whole group of 72 and told them not to fear, for he would protect them. He said they, would, uh, they should not renounce him, but should stay strong, and that he was the way, the truth, and the life. The next day, the Boko Haram militants lined the children up against the wall and asked the four mothers whether they would deny Jesus and return to Islam. All said, no. The soldiers prepared their weapons to take aim at the children, 
but suddenly began clawing at their own heads and screaming, snakes, snakes! They ran from the scene, some of them falling to the ground, dead. One of the Christian men reached for the gun of a dead militant, but a little girl of four years old, the youngest of the children, put her hand on his arm and said to him, you don't need to do that. Can't you see the men in white fighting for us? Some have asked whether such a wonderful story could ever be true, and all I can affirm affirm from personal experience that these protections by God are rare but real. Okay? Rare but real. Many Christians, they reckon well over 100,000 Baroness Cox Uh, in an email she sent me, was telling me that over 100,000 Christians have been martyred in the last 10 years. They didn't say, so this doesn't happen all the time, but it's been well attested that God steps into the situation. Which brings us to the place of prayer. If the shield of faith of trusting Jesus and knowing he will be there for us, not necessarily to protect us, but to be there with us and to take us through death, which of course we're all going to go through anyway, aren't we? We are. In that situation, Paul comes back where I started and where I finish which is about the importance of asking people to pray. Now, you can't pray for all the people in Nigeria. You don't know them. I happen to have that privilege, a lot of them. But you can pray. And I kept on hearing that, and I heard a sermon on this when I was a very young Christian. God forbid that I should sin against you by ceasing to pray for you. So listen. Here's the shield of faith. It will protect you. Faith will protect you. It's the shield of faith. It's the faith that protects you. But it will also protect each other. Please can I beg you to be sensitive to God and to the Spirit. Because when people cross your mind, and there'll be different people for you than for me, I happen to have... A particular calling. Yours is different. But when people cross your mind, seemingly out of the blue, for God's sake and for their sake, protect them. The Celts had a lovely, wonderful way of just visualizing the person and wrapping them in the love and protection of God. That does not mean that everything will work out perfectly. But it does mean that in this battle that is real and is likely to get increasingly real and maybe traumatic, we are protected. Make sure you've got your armor on. Don't ever take it to off. I'm going to visualize you all getting into bed with your armor clankety clank. But I'm saying something quite profound if you're listening. Put on the whole armour of God. I've spoken about one thing. There's more to come. Thank you, Graham.